Welcome to the Natural Running Network, the information resource for athletes that are trying to get it done and get it done right. My name is Richard Diaz. I'm your host. Sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Well, this is new. Uh, typically, most of the guests that I have are endurance style athletes, OCR, and what have you. Today, I've got a couple of uh, really special people. Not special ed people, but special people from the CrossFit community. I've got uh, Lauren Fisher and Jen Ryan. They came to the Secret Lab today, and I thought we would share the experience with y'all. Say hello, folks. Hey, everyone. Super excited to be on Richard's podcast. I think Jen and I were both excited about this opportunity to be here. Quickly introduce myself. I am a seven-time CrossFit Games athlete. Last year, I placed third place at the game from the team, so we were the third fittest team on earth. I've also competed in USA weightlifting, and I'm also the founder of Grown Strong, a fitness programming for women. That's my life in a nutshell. That's and it. It is. It's good. Uh, I'm Jen Ryan. I have qualified for the CrossFit Games four times. I'm an emergency department nurse. I am a nutrition coach, and uh, let's see. That's about it. I'm 40 years old. And, and Jen also placed yeah. first place in the CrossFit Games Open in her age division last year. So she is one of the fittest 40-year-olds on this On earth. the planet. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> I should just leave. No, no. <laughs> I am like way old and, you know, I got none of those accolades. But So you came here today um, by invitation. We did a few things. One of the things that we did that I really like to bang the drum about because a lot of people don't want to give it any credit is the resting metabolic assessment. People that are fit tend to feel like I'm fit, I don't need to worry about my calories because I'm fit. What did you guys learn from the information you gathered today? I mean, I feel like we learned so much. The fact that I learned today that just by being or just sleeping, standing, just being, I burned about... Uh, 1,600 calories, which is absolutely crazy because then you add on top of the four, two to four hours a day I train for CrossFit and I'm probably burning over 3,000 to 3,500 calories. And so just to find out that information will really carry over to my nutrition. Um, and I also learned that I primarily uh, can well now I'm like carbs is everything for me because <laughs> Jen, you want to explain, I guess you can, so basically just, yeah. Carbs, uh, my body utilizes carbs better. Is that right, Richard? Well, what you're, I think your body's starving for carbs. Yes. And so that's what was being borne out in the test is that you're not getting enough carbohydrate into your body. Yeah. And um, I think by making sure that you get some quality carbs in your day, it's going to cause you to do sleep better, perform better, um, save muscle mass, which is really important. Yeah. And it's just going to carry over into better performances. Obviously enough, this is such a contrary comment to make in your space. Most people think don't carbs need carbs. Are the enemy, yeah. But yeah, yeah. now it's like you ask how many carbs do I eat, and I realize that I've probably been under eating, especially just with everything going on and our CrossFit game season getting pushed back. But now I know, like, if I do want to take my training to the next level, like, I should literally be eating all the carbs, and I think it's going to carry over to everything. Um, so I'm super excited about the information we got today. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was interesting just to 
see what my resting metabolic rate was. Um, of course, there's always different formulas and calculations and estimates that people make, and that can be off by a couple hundred calories. And so when you're a performance athlete, um, that can really play a huge role. So that was a big part of it for me to have a little better guidance on just what I'm burning on a, uh, a daily basis or just on a basis of not really doing anything. Um, quite often we feel like because we're, I'm a much smaller human. And so, uh, I don't think many people would think that I'm burning about 1500 calories, basically doing nothing. And that's, that's well, just looking at important. you, someone would, if you played, what's my line, they would not, never guess that you're consuming in excess of 3,000 calories just to keep up with the work you do. Right. And they would think, you know, little girl. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I've been doing this for years with so many people. Women typically in around 1,200 calories. They think that's kind of like the, the place to be to keep from getting too fat and whatever. Yeah. And they never get fit. And they never tend to pick up any lean mass. And they're basically struggling and suffering because it's hard to survive on just 1200 calories no matter how big you are right so and a lot of people will just be like oh you're only eating you eat 3200 calories a day because you're an athlete no no no. if i wasn't an athlete i would still be wanting to eat over well over 2000 calories a day because my my you know resting metabolic rate would still be probably 14 to 1500 calories and then i I would still be moving around. I would be doing what others are doing, which is an hour to two hours a day, you know, and then walking around, um, things like that. And this isn't even including when I work a 12 and a half hour shift in the ER. Never mind that, right? So you add that in there and it's crazy. Well, the resting tests are not sexy. You know, it's not, people don't go, oh boy, I can't wait to get my resting test. You know, VO2 max test, that sounds like an athletic performance kind of thing, which it is, but... Um, the basis of getting an understanding of what their nutritional requirements are, base requirements are, I think to me is a performance thing because mm-hmm. if you don't have enough energy in your system, your body's not going to perform optimally. Simple as that. So I've basically forced that into all my clinics mm-hmm. and it, it turns out to be one of the most popular things post-clinic. After they've actually been tested and they understand the information and they realize how critical it was to really come to grips with what that information meant, uh, it, it turns out to be pretty popular. But uh, what else we do? We did uh, some gate work. Yes, we did some running gate work, running analysis, which again, like as CrossFitters, I think one thing we really struggle at is running. And I think for both Jen and I coming away from this, just like the little things about the foot positioning, the way your foot lands, uh, bringing my knees up a little bit higher, just like little things and like watching ourselves. I mean, you had pretty much all the technology in the lab today uh, that could really help you in all aspects. And I definitely came away feeling like I kind of know what direction I need to go if I want to improve my running. So like, I'm super excited uh, with what we took away from that. Like it, it was again, like so beneficial. Yeah, feeling, getting that, that floating, that aha moment, feeling um, at higher speeds, not feeling like I was struggling to keep up with the pace. That was probably the biggest key thing to me because I know going into a workout sometimes with running and say we have like three or four rounds of something in CrossFit and it involves a 400 meter run or an 800 meter run along with your other movements. Um, 
man, sometimes you go into that run and you just feel like your feet are in quicksand and you're working so hard. So if I can ingrain in myself to have that, you know, remember that aha moment and how to move almost like I'm floating, it's, it's going to be a game changer, you know, and you can get yourself ahead, first of all, of the, the competitor, the other competitors, and then you can get into the other movements and the rest of the workout, uh, hopefully not as, not exerting as much. Yeah. So we've done gate work. We identified what base cost of energy is. Mm -hmm. We identified what will make us more efficient. And then we did a VO2 max, which identifies where your body is shifting away from one energy one end of the energy system to the other and um, what your fitness is today so your vo2 score is going to give you a sense of what your fitness is both of you had stellar vo2 scores today um, for another 100 bucks i won't tell everybody what it was <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> now with that information understanding how to manipulate the energy system so that you can get more out of it. So this is your second visit, yeah. Jen. Mm -hmm. So we tested you three times before um, on all three disciplines on, on the bike, the rower, and ski, what well, four? Skier yeah. and the treadmill. Mm -hmm. So today we only compared treadmill, but the treadmill response today versus the last time you did it was pretty big. I mean, yeah. your threshold moved by what was it, like 24 beats mm -hmm. per minute. Yeah, so it, yeah. your threshold went from and, you know, to define the term, the point in which she was 100% sugar went from 154 beats per minute to 170 beats per minute. That's massive. That's a big difference. So that suggests your tolerance for work has improved dramatically. 18 beats per minute is like day and night. It's a big, big difference in effort. It's right? the difference between being first in the world and not first in the yeah, world. Exactly. <laughs> well, I used to tell people... you. you you, if we can change the complexion of what you're doing by a few minutes, that could be the difference of you taking pictures of people on the podium or being on the podium, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that, that was big. So, um, thought it's your first VO2. What would you think of that? First yeah. VO2 max test, um, I definitely didn't know what to expect. Um, but I think it's a great baseline for now where my fitness is at and where it can currently go. Um, and I'm pretty happy with my results today. And I definitely think just understanding again kind of where that aerobic threshold is and like how you can maximize your fitness again moving into those different energy zones. So, um, yeah, it was very helpful. Well, I think that... In your sport, being able to manipulate your capacity to process lactate is everything. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the concept of even concerning yourself with aerobic metabolism in a high-intensity, short-duration sport is a ridiculous proposition. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, you're not going to run out of energy in a 45-minute workout. Mm -hmm. I don't care how intense it is, you are not going to blow through your carbohydrate stores. Mm -hmm. You may be, because you're already kind of deficient. <laughs> But the point being is that it's very unlikely that your problem is going to be, I just ran out of gas. Mm -hmm. That's never the problem. You're fatigued, and you could be so toxic that you can't even get off the floor, but that's not an energy depletion problem. That's a toxic problem because your tolerance to the lactate production is inefficient. Mm -hmm. So the program we wrote early this year, uh, was designed to address that problem, which was the Dark Horse program. And having messed with it a little bit now, you know, just like anything, you, 
you build something and then you start to figure out ways to refine it. Every time I get a chance to work with people like you and get you out there and test the, the processes, it improves my capacity to understand what needs to be manipulated and how to approach that manipulation. So as much fun as it might have been for you, it was good fun for me too. <laughs> as much fun as like the last two and a half, three minutes of that VO2 max is. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's That's like, what it is though. It's, it's literally, it's, it is. It's like that last two, two and a half, two minutes maybe. I just right. thought of it almost as like a 500 meter row. Like mm. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be done in about two minutes. So I just need to hold on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I also had the feeling of Jen's VO2 max score in the back of my head, too. And I was like, I better beat her. We are so competitive. Like, literally, we're, we will push each other. Like, yeah. you can just see our eyes, like, <laughs> and, like thinking about what the other person did. And, but it's not in, like, a, a, it's not bad, a bad way. way. Not no. in, like, a, I just need to beat her. Like, yeah. right? Like, we, you know. But it's, it's what's forced us to become better athletes. Yes. Yeah. You know? Well, competition is always going to bring you up. It's, yeah. It's going to help. You know, you've got to be around people that can challenge you. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be very difficult to, to progress. Yeah. But at the same token, you could be around somebody that's beating you to death. And yeah. you're you, because you're just so bent on trying to beat that person, you don't really improve yourself. Mm -hmm. Because we all improve on our own timelines, right? And the approach to improvement is different for everybody. Yeah. So that's, that's why this information is good. Because it, it defines the way your body responds to work. And, you know, you guys know, I know so little about CrossFit. And here I wrote a program, I, you just read this guy's email to me, and I, I, by the way, that's not the only email I've got, I've got plenty of those type of emails where these guys are saying, unbelievable, I got so much better at what I'm doing, and I don't even understand how it happened. You know, they really don't even get why, why it happened. Because they so much equate, you know, go hard as you can, which will yield greater than before. And I don't think that that's necessarily true all the time. I mean, certainly it needs to be visited. You've got to go hard in order to get better. But if you go hard all the time, it's inappropriate. I don't, I don't think it's appropriate. And so understanding the way your body's manipulating energy and then getting on top of that and just kind of working with it as opposed to just constantly beating your head against it is definitely... Um, a much more refined approach to training, I think. Yeah, so. I agree. So no competition till next year, right? Uh, I don't have any competitions at the moment until potentially the CrossFit Games open, but we'll see if like some last-minute things come up. And, like, is there virtual stuff going on? There's uh, the virtual. So the CrossFit Games is actually happening in five days virtually. Um, but other than that, like that's about it for me. I mean, I'm not competing in the CrossFit Games because I didn't make the cut. They literally stopped all competitions in March. So if you made it um, in one of those qualifying qualifiers before March, then you qualified. And I unfortunately only competed in one of the sanctionals, which would have qualified for the games. Um, so yeah, not competing this year. And you've been eight times. I've been seven years in a row. So it's kind of a bummer that this year will be a kind of a wash, but I think it's a lot wash for a lot of athletes. Well, the building phase. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I have I have a competition in December. I think it's the second week of December. It's called the Legends Competition. It's a masters only comp. So, um uh everybody from there's the different age divisions uh starting at the 35 
division um, all the way up. So I'll be competing in that, most likely. I've already registered. So I think that's three or four days long. So we'll see how that goes. And then um, nothing that I know of until, of course, the next qualifying year sometime in probably February. But yeah, so I do have one in December. So that'd be cool. Cool. Any parting thoughts? I'll definitely be doing, uh, I've got, I think, 12 weeks until the Legends comp, so perfect time to get, um, keep going on the yeah, Dark, we're gonna have to have a dark Horse program. Yeah. We're going to have to have a conversation. There, we, we, I think that there's got to be some follow-up concept-wise, mm -hmm. what to do with the information now that you have it. I know that's probably burning in your heart right now, trying to figure out, <laughs> yeah. okay, what do I do there's with this? There's so much information we got today. I'm like, well, now what do I do next with everything <laughs> I just got? I think that's the problem in this whole thing is that everybody's challenges are unique. Right, what you suffer with or struggle with, what she struggles with, you know, trying to get the the weak link tightened up, looking at the thing globally. How do you approach it globally? Um, there's just so much that you need to think about before you can just start professing. Here's what you're going to do, yeah. right? How do you know? I mean, I just think that that's almost irresponsible of a coach to just start pounding his chest and saying, "Here's what I want you to do." when he doesn't even know what it is that you're challenged with, right? But we could visit the, that conversation and, and just kind of look at things. I would like to see, let's call it some virtual time trials, where potentially you would get on a whatever device. So like if you're on an assault bike, what does it look like? What is your output, like you were referring to a functional threshold power, what does it look like cost-wise when you're at that point? And then try to relate that to the information you got. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that when you you steady state functional threshold power five minutes, mm -hmm. just throwing something out there. Let's say that your cost factor in that is 150 beats per minute. Based on the information in the test, you could look at it and say, well, energetically, where does that put me? Mm -hmm. How much of that's coming from my sugar? How much lactate am I processing um, at that point in time? Right. And how how sustainable is it? Uh, how much more could I have done? How much less should I have done? And then do the same thing comparatively with all the different devices that you're going to face, like a skier or a rower, treadmill, running outside, whatever. You obviously, you can't do a power meter running, but you could just say pace-wise, for me to support this pace in a 400, what is my heart rate doing? Mm -hmm. And then start to look at it like that, because I could tell you just from her experience, when you get onto a rower, you get onto a skier, opposed to running, you're going to sacrifice about 20 beats in order to be in the same level of tolerance, mm -hmm. right? So, what she could support at 170 beats per minute, she probably couldn't support on a, on a no way. Mm -hmm. She's probably going to be more like 150, um, you know, just to give a sense of it. But start to think in those terms, and then start to think about how you're exposing yourself to the training relative to the cost and relative to the yield relative to the cost. Mm -hmm. How much am I getting for my investment? And if you're not starting to see improvements in the yield relative to the expense, then you need to rethink what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. And I don't think that's something that people do in your sport. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I, I don't. So no, what I'm what I'm saying is that do. Do, like for example, a most people in in the sport don't use a heart rate monitor. Well, I think we were just saying earlier about how yeah, most of any sort of 
not, I wouldn't say most, there are some CrossFit Games athletes who are starting to utilize heart rate training, but it's still an unknown thing, and I feel like definitely something like this would maximize our potential to be one of the fittest on earth, is starting to utilize and understanding the way your heart works, and right now, not, like, very less than, like, There's got to be some. There's, there's definitely some, some um, but I don't think... It's, it's not the norm to not, go into yeah. a CrossFit gym and see, like, heart rate training yeah. or utilize sure. Well, and then what I find commonly when you do see it is that someone starts to sip the Kool-Aid a little bit. They start to realize, well, it would be kind of cool to see what, I'm, what it's costing me to do this. Mm-hmm. They don't have any support to determine what they should be doing with the information, right? Right. They, they bought the monitor. They're in the club now. They wear the strap. It's a smoke detector. You know, it's like, wow, look at that. I'm lit up. I'm, you know... You know, bazillion beats per minute, uh, and I died, or I didn't. You yeah. know, um, to me, that's just that's you're a spectator. You're just looking at the information being revealed, but you don't really learn that much from it. Uh, I remember back in the day when I first started wearing a heart rate monitor, and I'm going back, like you know, like in the well, heart rate monitors, believe it or not, only been around as long as you've been alive. So we're looking at um, early '90s is when heart rate monitors start to show up on human beings. Yeah. And they were pretty rudimentary. They're just a heart rate monitor. Yeah. And I, kn- I found out that when I went out and ran like a 10-mile run or something like that, if I did it at 170 beats per minute, I was in really sore and beat down the next day. Mm-hmm. That's my relationship with a heart rate monitor. 170, bad juju. Don't do it. Yeah. Stay, stay lower. I had no concept of what, what that all meant, mm-hmm. you know, but... Guys were showing up with heart rate monitors, so I got one. Yep. And that's kind of where you guys are right now. Yeah. And I, the other consideration is you have traditional minds that work in heart rate, and they're not accustomed to working in your space. Right. Right? They're used to working with endurance athletes. Yeah. And the approach to endurance athletes, even that information is age old. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I work with OCR athletes. The sport's not but seven years old. Right? That's not very old. We're still learning. They have no idea what they're doing. I mean, for the most part, what I've learned is that the, as a community at large, they don't have these guys that grandfathered in as coaches that have been in a business for a long time and yep. tried and true, worked with athletes for years and years and years. Like triathlons like that now. When I first got into triathlon, it was uh, in the very early 80s. Yeah. Same thing. Nobody knew what they could get away with or how much they could tolerate or whatever. I used to tease guys. I'd call them up, say, hey, so-and-so just did 150 miles in the desert. What are you doing? And, oh, shit, I better go out and do 200. Right. right? And not they're, really have any idea why they're no. doing it. They want to produce more work than the other guy. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a CrossFit thing, right? Yep. Produce more work than the other guy. Just go and do it. Yeah. yeah. Without and a reason. So it's an interesting dilemma. Coming in uh, at the bottom floor of a concept in a sport. And the, the other thing is, is the, the pushback you're going to get from people that have been told to do one thing and that worked for them, and the, the, the willingness to try something new, really difficult for them. So they're afraid that whatever success they've gained, they potentially lose if they try something different, yeah. right? Uh, so it's a struggle. I mean, to, to write a program that's completely different than everybody else is doing is is gutsy. Yeah. It's gutsy. Well, and then to follow it as an athlete is even... Gutsier. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I didn't know. I was like, well, I hope I'm not screwing myself over by not doing some of the stuff, like the 
second workout of the day that has me on my butt, like, you know, just with not really a concept in mind why I'm doing it, you know, instead doing the Dark Horse program, and it, it, it worked, right? It came, it helped, so, but it's like a, you know, you don't know for sure, right? Like, instead of for 30 minutes, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, assault bike as hard as you can, right? Because that would be like our assault bike programming. And instead, I was like, I'm not doing that. I've done it before. It hurts. Sure, I probably got better. But I'm actually going to do my, you know, the Dark Horse program, that training. And I'm not on the ground dead afterwards. Uh, but it was my heart rate zones, my like what I needed to be hitting. And, um, it, and you weren't sacrificing performance. Right, right. Yeah, I, so pay wholesale. Yeah. You know, who wants to pay retail, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to see what happens next. Me too. You know, it, it, it gets me up and excited about trying to develop something beyond what's already been developed. Because it's really been early, you know, and I, I didn't think, I mean, the first iteration, honestly, I felt like it was, it was terrible. It needed more work. The second one was much more refined um, because we, we introduced the concept of looking at the energy systems on all the devices, which mm -hmm. we didn't do the first time, yeah. uh, which I think was a big move. But now taking that information and, and massaging it a little bit more, I think that there is potential for it to be something much, much greater. And But we'll see. Yeah, well, look, uh, cool. for the sake of the podcast, yeah. so happy that you guys came. Glad we got this done. Good to finally meet you, Lauren. Yeah, good to finally meet you, Richard. Jen has been talking a whole lot about you, so it's nice yeah. to finally put a face to a name. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, that's it, folks. If you enjoyed what you heard just now, I'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, at D-I-A-Z-H-P. Till next time.